This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is uh, James Conway, and I directed 18 episodes of Star Trek from Star Trek Next Generation all the way through Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Amy Nelson, and joined with me today is the fabulous Justin Ozer. Justin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. You know, I was thinking it's been a while since we've said how amazing each of us is uh, as the host introduces people. So thank you for (laughs) bringing that back. I'm doing great. Looking forward to another conversation about the next generation. Well, Richard is away, um, and we do have a special guest, but I first wanted to read some feedback from the Babel Conference. From Earl Grey 241, that was our Creatures and Monsters of TNG, such a fun episode. So Justin, why don't you start us off? Uh, Yeah, so we got a lot of great feedback for that one. William J. Jackson says, five stars for Earl Grey. Posting it here as I listen to it on Player FM, no rating system, five great episode. Thank you, William. So glad that you enjoyed it. I don't know if I've seen you comment before. Not sure if you're a new listener. If so, welcome. If not, and you're just starting to post things in the Babel Conference, welcome there as well. Uh, Just really glad you enjoyed the discussion that we kind of put in last minute. (laughs) So... Yeah, uh, I again, pretty new to see uh, William coming around, so welcome, and yeah, nice to have another new listener or another new commenter on the Babel Conference, so excellent. We have Patrick Carlin says, you were mixing up the Galaxy Child Alien with the creatures from Cost of Living, probably because they both lived in asteroid fields. In Cost of Living, Data uses a neutrino beam to get them off the ship, while in Galaxy's Child, Jordy and Dr. Brahms soured the milk to get it off the ship. Yes, I do believe that we did mix those up, and we apologize. Yeah, well, it happens. So many episodes, 170-something episodes. I hadn't remembered which happened in which one, so yeah, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> well, Tim Han says, Justin, you and Amy didn't mention the Trill symbiont from the episode The Host. That's more a creature in appearance, even though it's an intelligent creature Great TNG episode two. Well, yeah, I had posted in there asking if there were other creatures and monsters that people could think of. The Trill Symbiont is a good one because it is a different kind of of creature that uh, I think I had overlooked. Although for the most part, we didn't talk about those kinds of species, but... Right, yeah, because that would almost be in the alien realm instead of a creature. I don't know. That's Armist sort of is an is alien too, so, you know. yeah. It's it's hard to tell, but but I, I I like that because especially in TNG when you see the Trill Symbian, it's this kind of colorful, interesting looking thing yeah. <laughs> you haven't seen before. Jason Moe says this was a great and fun episode with some wonderfully scary pics. Glad you mentioned Spider Barkley. He always scared the bleep out of me as a kid. For your consideration, here is a glamour shot of Feklar, guardian of the Klingon underworld, who I think definitely qualifies as a great TNG monster. And then he posted just this horrific picture of Feklar. <laughs> yeah, which we're looking at in our outline now. Yeah, I, I had forgotten about that. That's from The Devil's Do, where mm-hmm. uh, Ardra turns into Feklar, has been Feklar in the past, maybe. But yeah, the, the, the design for that, it's really frightening. So that's a great choice, actually, that we had overlooked. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get to today's guest. I'm so excited to have Shashank Avaru from Politrex here with us. Woohoo! I met Shashank uh, 
at Star Trek Las Vegas for the first time in person. I have been on their show, Paula Treks. Shashank, welcome to Earl Grey. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm very, very happy to be here. This is incredibly exciting. Amy is definitely one of my favorite people that I've met at STLV. And Amy also did something very sweet. After STLV, I had an, a night just in town with nothing to do. So she actually showed me around town and we played tourist, which was a lot of fun. So thank you for that, Amy. And uh, Justin, I hear you're a vegan. So thank you for being a vegan. Oh, well, that's just what I've been for a while. It was great to also meet you at uh, at STLV. Wonderful to meet you in person, put a face to the voice and talk to you for a little bit. It was great that we met right around Scott Mance. So there was so much yes. energy. <laughs> I know, and you're a big Scott Mance fan. You're like, Scott, let me tell you about this. So that was wonderful. <laughs> and I just kind of sat back and, and watched you talk with him. Scott Mance is such a, uh, such a nice guy and he loves to talk about Star Trek. Uh, and you were talking with him about some of the shows he's been on. He was talking about the photo novels, which if listeners have listened to uh, Literary Trek. Scott Mance was on an episode just gushing about the photo novels. So anyway, that was a fun moment where we were kind of standing around talking to him. And thank you both for having me on the show. This is very exciting. Well, Shashank, tell us about your podcast, Politrex, and what is that about? Well, Amy, you've been on it, yes. so you definitely increased the intelligence level for that episode. Uh, both Barry and I met at Star Trek Las Vegas. Barry DeFord, my co-host, we met at Star Trek Las Vegas 2017, and we realized we're both political nerds. And for us, Star Trek is a, one of the biggest metaphors for all the politics and culture in the real world. So we thought it would be very cool if there was a show that just talked about the political and cultural underpinnings in Star Trek and compared them to the ones in the real world. So you would take a figure from Star Trek and then you talk about how this figure represents different people, different well-known people like a politician or a, or a, or a world leader from history or the present. And we just, we, we, we take politics and culture and we examine them through the lens of Star Trek. Uh, that's, that I think is the, best gist for uh, Polytrex. If, to give you an example, d- during the height of the spy scandal where Russia was in conversation and people were talking about how they were spies, we did an episode series called Spies in Our Star Society, where we examined all the different spies in Star Trek and we compared them to the ones in our real world. It, it's that's That's mainly what the show is about. Yeah. Well, and it's really interesting because you don't just focus on American politics, like in your news segments and stuff, it's politics around the globe. So I like that aspect of it. Well, we realized early on that he lives in Canada. I'm an immigrant from India. It really wouldn't make a whole lot of sense if we just talked about a country that we have little to no authority over. I live here, but I'm a guest. Mm -hmm. So we realized the world is bigger than just like in Star Trek. The, the, The show is bigger than Starfleet. And the world is bigger than America. So we do our best to balance it out between the world and America. Yeah. Awesome. Well, listeners, again, I would highly recommend listening to Politrex. I think it's, uh, yeah, I'm smarter after listening to it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shashank, um, how long have you been a Star Trek fan? Like what's, what's your origin story for Star Trek? Star Trek in my life started as a mystery to me. Uh, back in the 60s in India, when my parents were growing up, we, uh, from what they have told me, they had one television channel that ran across the country and people were just getting black and white TVs and color TVs in their homes. So as parents, they had one channel that every kid around the world watched. And in India, there is the concept of arranged marriage. And that's how my parents got married also. And when they met each other in the 80s, they they both realized Again, in their very first conversation that growing up, they both watched Star Trek. And arranged marriage, uh, unlike what most people think, it's not forced marriage. It's more or less two people being set up on a date and then they get to go and figure out if they like each other. So they realized they were both big Star Trek fans and that was one of the big things they talked about on their first date, uh, quote unquote. So uh, the the whole reason why I exist as a person is because (laughs) Star Trek happened to both these people. A literal origin story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was told this story as a child and I tried watching some Star Trek as a child and 
I did not really get into it though until the 2009 movie because that was right around when I was coming of age and I saw that movie and I realized man I need to I need to go back and watch what what this this franchise is about and that's how I discovered Star Trek. I rediscovered Star Trek would be more appropriate. Well, wow, that's I mean that's great. I mean for me uh I've I've said this on Orgray before but it was the 2009 movie. I'd seen some Star Trek before but it was really that movie that caused me to go back and and see what I I had missed. And you know, it's interesting just to to think about. So so was it the case that your parents were watching Star Trek like in India like in the 60s roughly around the time that it was airing or did they get it later like happened in in parts of Europe or I don't know if you know. Oh, yeah, the they actually started watching it during the original run because hmm. uh, I think uh, my my parents were probably 6, 7, 8 at the time, like right when third season was airing and in and Star Trek was really big in India at the time. Uh, the show as soon as it went off that one television channel still immediately got reruns and they kept playing them over and over. So they actually watched them to a point where they could recite every words in the show. It's like me with Family Guy. Like they know every joke, every quote and uh, so yeah, they watched it on their black and white TVs growing up and eventually they ended up watching it on their color televisions. That's great because I mean I've heard lots of stories of people growing up in in the US and watching it in the 60s or in the reruns and just like watching it so much that they get to know it, but it's really cool to, you know, think of people in other parts of the world doing that too. Here's an interesting uh, little trivial thing. My mom and my dad both in India people have trouble pronouncing American names, so they really couldn't say Kirk and Spock. So they used the words uh, in our language of Hindi. They they literally translated uh, the way they looked. So my mom would call in Hindi Kirk the man in gold <laughs> and she would call <laughs> Spock the intelligent one. Oh. Oh interesting. Not <laughs> wow. not the man in blue. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's that's really interesting. Wow, yeah. But yes, that's that's my origin story with Star Trek. That is great. Thank you for sharing with us. So today, uh Shashank, you wanted to talk about the episode Remember Me. Now, this is a great Beverly Crusher episode. I think we could all agree with that. So, let's start like why this episode and what about it that you wanted to just sort of delve into i just sort of your initial thoughts of this this is a season 4 episode and justin let's start with you oh yeah i mean so d- just in-, in case people aren't as as familiar about it or or remembering but this is basically the one where beverly gets trapped in the warp bubble and has to get out i mean that kind of describes it but i i've always really enjoyed this episode and you know Shashank when you said oh i'd love to talk about this episode i was like that's great we haven't devoted something to talking about this episode it is a great beverly crusher episode which unfortunately you don't get a huge number of in the next generation and i think like even when you know what's going on just watching it form and just seeing like gates mcfadden a lot of times like on her own just kind of carrying the show is just awesome to see so i've always loved it really enjoyed rewatching it and looking forward to you know what we have to say about the episode Shashank I have always uh, been in love with short stories. I write comic books myself and ever since I was a child I fell in love with all kinds of short stories. I used to hunt them down, read them. Uh, when I found the Sherlock Holmes short stories in my I feel uh, my life changed when I was in 6th or 7th grade. Uh, so when I started watching TNG, I did not gravitate as much to a lot of the regular episodes as much as I did the great one-off episodes. Like Face of the Enemy, I think is one of the greatest hours of television. Period. I agree. And yes, definitely. <laughs> right up there is uh, Remember Me for Me because it 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 is a really good sci-fi short story happening in the universe of Star Trek. you could give this episode to anyone who has never seen TNG and they would instantly be intrigued to watch what else this show has to offer they need no context that it because it's everybody's familiar with who a doctor is on a ship they know what more or less what the captain does what everybody else does they're on the ship mm-hmm. and what happens when the doctor starts figuring things out that everybody else is more or less ignorant of that that Uh, intrigued to be so much and how, where the story goes from there halfway through the episode you are either thinking beverly is crazy or you're thinking until you actually go back and watch crusher and what's going on on the other side you're thinking either beverly is crazy 
but I have seen that person before. So am I crazy? What's going on in this episode? And uh, it's a really good take on the going insane story trope, which in which is prevalent across genres. It's a, like Shutter Island is another really good movie uh, that that shows you the going insane mm. trope and what it means when a character does not know that they're going insane. So that just all those reasons and for another really big reason why I badgered Justin into talking about this episode with me. Hey, uh, you didn't have to. Pr- you get- didn't have to badger me into it. I I, <laughs> I, I, I like talking about it, but. No, it's a good point about the like going insane kind of like frame of mind where right mm-hmm. Riker, you're not sure like is he going crazy what's yeah, going on right. and he has to actually <laughs> say i'm not crazy you know yeah. so it's it's always an interesting story she has a moment too she says i won't forget i won't forget any of you uh she she's trying to hold on to sanity mm-hmm. and she says at one point let's start with the assumption that i'm not crazy right mm-hmm. yeah it's uh, like, uh, and m- one of the most important things in this episode to me is just that it's it's a really, the episode is very tight. It's a character story. It's a shipwreck story. It's one character story stuck in a place where the character does not know what is going on. And uh, it's uh, it, it also is, is to me, a little uh, sympathetic. Uh, I feel sad when I watch this episode because all I keep thinking about is why didn't anybody ever explore Dr. Crusher more? Mm-hmm. She's such a brilliant character. What is wrong with people who made this this show, this brilliant show, and gave us this amazing character, and yet we only have one, of two, one or two of these episodes with her and Deanna Troy. But what about you, Amy? Yeah, um, Remember Me is definitely one of those episodes that you can't forget. I mean, you say the title <laughs> and everyone knows no what you're intended. talking about. Well, yeah. in my mind, you know. It's the, epi- it's the episode telling you, Remember Me. And yeah. You do. yeah. You know, because there are some episodes in TNG and you say the episode name and I'm thinking, now, which one is that? Like, but there's... This one just sticks in your head very much and a great title, great story. Crusher is amazing. And I like the idea that you were saying that going insane story trope. I, it's sort of to me like this mystery. And I have always loved the mystery type of stories of TNG. And to me, that's just a mystery that Beverly has to figure out. And yeah, seeing Crusher as the, main focus of an episode is rare. I mean, we were, I think you talked about like suspicions, but like, yeah, there's, there's, there's a few that I think that I'd list out in the outline. There's suspicions, but there, each of hers is different. Like the ones you listed, Justin, like suspicions, the host attached sub Rosa. I, I would put suspicions probably closest to remember me, but each one of those is so different. And that I love that aspect of these Beverly Crusher episodes because, you know, the host that's she's fallen in love attached is, you know, this they're stranded type of episode, you know, Picard and, and Crusher. Sabrosa, oh, I guess another falling in love. <laughs> another but, love story. <laughs> but <laughs> her exploring her roots and, you know, her genealogy there, I like that. And then Suspicion, she's, you know, figuring out a murder. So they just seem so different. So I really like that aspect about these Crusher episodes. And again, to me, each one of those stands out. And so, yeah, that's a credit to Gates McFadden that her episodes just really, I remember them for some reason. If I remember my trivia correctly, this episode was actually just going to be a subplot of family where people were, people's families were going to disappear into that wormhole, in that, uh, into a wormhole in that episode. But they realized there is just not enough time, so we'll make another episode, and they turned it into Remember Me. But don't you think we love this episode because it is such a Crusher-specific episode? If this incident had happened to anybody else on the ship, like, say, Picard, or Riker or Worf, they would they would immediately think of a military solution. They would go, we need to blow whatever that thing is out. We need to go somewhere. We need to kill someone. Dr. Crusher sits down and goes, let's diagnose this problem. Well, al- although if it was Data in this situation, he would diagnose the problem as well. Good point. But... But but I think I think that you're onto something. Like one of the reasons maybe why it's so memorable is because there's so few opportunities 
for to see so much of Crusher and to see Gates McFadden shine as Crusher for such a sustained period of time that it 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 works because you get to see her way of doing it, which would be different than anyone else's. Yeah, and that's one of the things when I was watching it again that really stuck out to me just amazingly. Like she was, once she finally got down to I'm losing everyone and gets over the shock that no one's really believing her. And that does take a while because, you know, it's more than halfway through. Well, it's about halfway through the episode. And then she's like, all right, let's diagnose the problem and let's assume that I'm not crazy. Like it took Mm -hmm. that whole time. And but then she finally got down to I have nothing left to do. Let's go to my training. Let's do what's going to work. This scientific, this, you know, starting with a theory and testing your hypothesis, you know, and going back to her training that that's when that kicks in. And I just love that. Definitely one of the most quotable episodes, too. If there is nothing wrong with me, then there's something wrong with the universe is right up there for me with there are four lights. Hmm. It's 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 very memorable and it's it's something that you can kind of take to heart in <laughs> in your own life, right? I think it, what she says exactly is if there's if there's nothing wrong with me, maybe there's something wrong with the universe. And I think everybody has days like that, like maybe there's something wrong with the universe, you know. So it it, it is very memorable the things that she says and what happens. Yeah, another one that I just love when she was telling Picard like when everyone was gone, it was just her and Picard. And she's like, they were the heart and soul of this ship for three years. They deserve more than to just be forgotten, you know? And and like you said, I won't forget any of you. Like, and even though it's just been three years, I just felt what she was saying. Yes, this crew has been the heart and soul of the ship. And I thought, oh, that was so poignant to say at season four, you know. Yeah, and it has it has more impact doing that. Like if this was like season one, episode two, it wouldn't work as well because you don't really know who these people are as much. Mm-hmm. But after, you know, three plus seasons, they've become really memorable and real to you, even though you really know they're fictional characters. They become real and you don't want to lose them or to forget them the same that that Crusher says, yeah. And imagine the trauma that she's going through. She only talks about this with Troy, but she says, am I going crazy? I have delivered babies on the ship that are not Mm. here anymore. Mm -hmm. The headspace you have to be in to even imagine something like that, where people are just disappearing. And O'Brien at the start sees Quace walk through, and then 10 minutes in, he goes, well, I I only saw you, and you just came by and said, thank you. So just people (laughs) telling you, that things like that 10 minutes removed from what you just saw that's i mean it's 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 a bit like a twilight zone episode like everything's Mm -hmm. like topsy-turvy bizarre and you're like what what's going on here am i going crazy and people are disappearing like and at first crusher is like okay maybe there you know aren't maybe there was 900 people instead of a thousand but then when it gets like way down and people are like wharf who's that she's like no 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 something's really wrong here uh-huh. it's definitely not me but but like at the beginning it's like one person and a few and like uh, some doctors are missing and she's like this really doesn't seem right but i don't know maybe something's messing with my perceptions i'll give it the benefit of the doubt but then mm-hmm. eventually it gets so extreme and especially like toward the end when it's like jean-luc what are you and I doing just like voyaging around the galaxy by ourselves on this ship? (laughs) Like it makes perfect sense to you, but it makes no sense to me, right? Just the two of us like on this giant ship. Well, and when it was just a small skeletal crew, you know, and she's still questioning, he's like, why do we have all of these rooms and quarters? And, And then Data just nonchalantly, well, we have... You know, we need uh, evacuation and we take diplomats around. Yeah. It. And like he's listing it like, well, duh, this is why we have it. And Picard's like, that'll be enough data. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. They just in their minds, it's logical. And it's like, no. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's almost uh, 
it's not surprising but very peculiar to me that the crew's some of the crew's immediate response to her saying this is that maybe she's crazy instead of saying well, maybe there is something going on and we'll talk about that a little bit further but i think another angle that is ignored in this episode is that it's a really good mother son episode it's a son mm. trying to get her mother out of a, 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 a sci-fi craze of the week and uh, like the just the toll it takes on crusher when she finds out that wesley's gone mm. and what happens with wesley and the traveler it's just every every beat of the story and uh, just a peek behind the scenes when they do tv show seasons they have a certain amount of money for the season and when they run out of money they do what are called ship in a bottle episodes uh, mm. which are just episodes that take place on one or two sets really cheap to shoot so they can get an hour of that tv in and make some profit and i think that's what what this episode was mm-hmm. like the biggest special effect is a light and it's all on one or two sets right yeah yeah and it's on existing sets i i actually i i'm just curious about something that i thought of as i was watching this so this thing that's happening inside the warp bubble where people are disappearing the realities change kind of constantly changing and where people are coming up with these explanations for why there's you know so few people on the ship is that something that crusher is generating in her mind or is it like this warp bubble has somehow taken this thought out of her mind at the moment that it was created that she was thinking about loneliness and quasis talking about people dying and it's just creating like where is all of like the the reality that's being created inside this bubble coming from is it just something like she's imagining in her mind but it seems like she's walking around and she jumps through this thing that that Look, this time around, I was just curious what you guys thought about like how it's actually happening or being generated. Funny you should say that because I was sort, I hadn't put it into words like you did, like you just did, but I have, I'm going to say yes to both. And because I think it definitely was her initial thoughts, you know, and I love that part when she said, you know, I was thinking what Quais had said. I was thinking about Jack and just that throwback that it's like, yeah, of course you would be thinking about, you know, Jack Crusher. So I think that starts the universe. And I think that's what builds the universe is that premise, if you will. And so, but then I think the universe just continues on that line, sort of like big bang theory, like here's going to be, you know, when she asked, what is the nature of the universe? You know, I think it was built on her that thought process that she had because when she said could it be that simple and she's trying to can i click my heels three times and go back like at that point if she really did have control over the universe the universe would have stopped um collapsing you know because then she understood Mm. it and so then i think yeah she doesn't have control over this universe because otherwise at that moment when she realized that it should have stopped collapsing and it didn't, you know? So I think it's a little of both. Okay. From the from the techno babble, what I gleamed was that uh, the war bubble somehow created or replicated an image of the ship inside it. So there was, that's why it's either the ship or nothing. Throughout the episode, you don't see anything but the ship and then the mist coming in. Uh, so I always thought uh, when Wesley did his experiment and the accident happened, there was an, a reality created within that war bubble. And because Crusher was standing there, she fell into that bubble. And inside the bubble, there was a replicated image of the ship or a replicated reality. And that's why the computer tells her the universe is only 705 meters long. And that's why it's it's shrinking it, down. If, eventually toward the end, but but earlier on, they, she is able to see that there are different ships that are some light years away in different systems. So mm-hmm. it actually thinks that it's much larger than that at some point. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can't yeah. get, get completely into the physics. But it's just something that, that I was just curious about. Like, how does this thing work? And how does it adjust? It's almost like a holodeck where it's just adjusting to different parameters or things that change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Part but. two of this early episode is the extended <laughs> technobabble physics of how that <laughs> war bubble works. Well, and since we're sort of on this trip, I must talk about math a little bit. 
Um, do it. Yeah. I didn't get to last week, so. <laughs> yeah, you you didn't get we didn't get a, a a favorite math character moment last week, so let's get a a math moment this week. Yes. Oh, before you do, Amy, yes. did you get the forty seven reference in this episode? Oh. Yeah, there. I think there is one. It's like, oh, uh, I forget which one, but it, it it is it something that Data is saying. I don't remember. Yeah. Right. Okay. What is it, Shashank? Uh, I believe. Uh, if you do the math between the size of the universe, 705 meters, and if, I, if I'm not wrong, at one point, Jordi or someone on the, uh, Jordi, I think, says she has uh, a travel rate of 1,500 uh, oh, 15 meters, meters per second. 15 meters per second, so it's going to take 47 yeah. seconds to collapse. Yeah, so right? it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. She has 47 seconds left. Uh-huh. They always they always uh, like to slip those in there. Thank you, Joe Minoski. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Well, one thing that I picked up uh, this time is just the pure application of these equations. I mean, this whole thing started when Wesley started with Kaczynski's equations. And so what I love is that math isn't just these abstract, random equations. Like it's not just numbers and letters on a paper that you can actually apply these equations to the real life. And here Wesley creates and is working on this warp field. And I just love when they said that we will begin. Oh, the traveler is coming to help Wesley. And um, it's not just the equations. He's like, we will begin by going beyond mathematics. And he talks about, he saw that you humans don't understand that time and space, that they're intricate and they're related and that in this intricate web that binds them. And I was like, ooh, is this like the spore drive and discovery, that web idea? And of course, there's wasn't written there, but I'm like, oh my gosh, this whole web design is being mentioned here you know, of a way mm-hmm. to travel and a way to create things. I just was. Well, and and, and I, I, I do actually like that they they reference back and they bring back the Traveler who was in a season, early season one episode where no one has gone before, where I think basically they travel further than in any other Star Trek episode. They're like a billion light years mm-hmm. away from their previous position. And it's because of the power of thought, which I think they planted that. And they never really kind of took it to its logical conclusion for what you could do that because then you could just go anywhere and do anything. But yeah. but yeah, like that is really interesting thinking about like go beyond the math, beyond the numbers into where you can see all of these things that are being connected. And I think you're right in a way. It is kind of like what you see in Discovery with the, the spore drive where you can have like a being like navigating this web of connections to try to get you to some place. Yeah, like that's the yeah. traveler and like this mycelial network and the traveler is one is a navigator within it. On episode two of Polytrex, uh, I try to convince, but the entire episode is about the traveler. Mm-hmm. And throughout the duration of that episode, I convince or try to convince Barry that he's one of the greatest TV characters that was never really utilized because of the negative perception that people had. But I'm so glad you brought that up, Justin, uh, because in that episode, at one point, the traveler says that the idea that time and thought originate from the same place, it's humanity is not even ready for thinking about something like that. And this episode is a great through line from that thought to here where they actually experience a glimpse into what that kind of world might be. Well, yeah, yeah he sort of basically instructs Wesley that use the force, Wesley, you know, I mean, it just sort of was a use the force type of moment there. <laughs> I guess. How dare, you, How dare you? I know crossing the streams. <laughs> Well, in rewatching this episode recently, Shashang felt it came through as a tell of a woman screaming that something is wrong and nobody is listening to her and connected it to the Me Too movement. Shashank, do you want to talk about that? Sure. One of the reasons why I went back to this episode was I try to always connect real world events with Star Trek because that is kind of what we do on Polytrex. And in general, I'm fascinated with that myself. Uh, so somehow I felt like time travel had occurred and unintentionally this episode became a really big metaphor for the Me Too movement. Uh, I'll explain. When I was seeing it, 
after all the revelations came out, probably a, f- a few months after it transpired, maybe in early 2018, I'd gone back to watch this episode simply to enjoy it. But while I was watching it with all this on my mind, all I could see was then this may be, be might be because I was so jaded at the time and my mind was filled with those thoughts. But I was looking at a woman screaming at everyone on a giant ship that everything is going wrong. And people listen to her to a certain point, but there is no action taken. And there is no real action taken anyway. And uh, it's it's a woman going on and on and on about, hey, there is something wrong. Look at this. Listen to this. Why aren't you listening to me? Uh, and people either trying to convince her that she's crazy or people not listening to her or even the people that are listening to her not doing the right amount of action that needs to be taken to solve this problem. For example, uh, closer to the end of the episode, the traveler immediately says that we need to get the ship back to where they started. And this never happens in her reality. In that war bubble, people just keep going. And uh, granted, that idea came from the traveler, but as soon as he said it, the ship was brought back. While in this episode, Dr. Crusher is screaming on and on, and all people are doing is trying to figure out if there is something wrong with her. Uh, It did not, it it felt to me, uh, just watching those beats, that throughout this episode, all Crusher has as a woman, uh, if she was in the real world, is her conviction that something's going on, that something's wrong, and uh, the world at large ignoring her. So I could not help but look at it through that lens. And uh, so I realized, wait, this is, this is remember hashtag me too. That's what this episode is. Yeah, I think it's 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 a really interesting way to think about it that I hadn't thought of before. Although I want to examine it in a little more detail because I think that like, and I knew that you were interested in this perspective, so I was kind of watching the the episode and thinking about that. And I think that for for I kind of, as you said, for for a little while, they are kind of believing her and seeing what what they can do. But I think mm-hmm. there there is some action that they take. Like at one point when she says like eight hundred people have disappeared, Picard does set course for that star base that they need to go to. And he says, your word has always been good enough for me. So at that at that point, I mean, it kind of changes a little bit, but at that point, mm-hmm. they're, they're doing what, what they can. Then later on, when it's like 900 people are missing, Picard says, you know, non-essential personnel should be confined to their quarters. Let's go to red alert. He's, he is giving her some, some leeway on this, right? But it comes to like a certain turning point when she talks about like, you know, Worf, and everyone gives her this blank stare like, who the heck is that? Like they give her these really weird looks and, and even Wesley is skeptical of her and then he disappears. And then, you know, toward, toward the end when it's like just Picard there, he's like, well, you know, I'll do what I can in order to, you know, have continuous recording of my life signs or, or whatever on their way to the star base. But they're very, very skeptical. And then, you know, the, the, what you see the traveler do, like, let's go back to the star base, the computer, like the computer or the warp bubble or whatever kind of forecloses that possibility because now the universe is just like right around the ship and eating up the ship. So it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, a, a progression, like at a certain point, people are like, okay, you know, we believe you, let's just see what we can do in, in this situation. But then it gets to a certain point where it's like, you know, Crusher, we think you're a little crazy and we don't believe you. And then just the nature of the universe just kind of forecloses that that possibility for her. So I think it's an interesting progression along along that point. And maybe you could look at it as like Crusher is living inside of this this universe where there comes a certain point where people don't really trust her or what she's saying. And she has to exit that universe. So it's almost like there are two different realities. There's one where, you know, she gets a certain amount of leeway up to a certain point, but then people really don't believe her and are really, really skeptical and the universe itself is against her. And then there's this other universe she she jumps into that is much more comfortable where people know who she is, what she does, they believe her story and all of that. So it is kind of like there are two different realities where there are two different things going on. One little thing before Amy gets to her thoughts, uh, I... 
when people go back and watch this episode, if they do, compare Picard's reaction to people like Rikers and Worf's to Dr. Crusher. Worf outright dismisses her. She almost argues with the captain saying, well, I've checked this over and over. There is nothing wrong. And then the captain just shuts him down. Then Riker keeps looking at her like she's crazy. Mm. And uh, he, he he has a demeanor, at least to me, of, is she, is she okay? What is going on? And again, O'Brien argues with her. And... Uh, just the the difference in reactions also fascinates me. It's it's in a weird way, a metaphor for how the reaction was to the Me Too movement and all the women who came out and expressed what had happened to them and the reactions we saw across the world. Yeah, going along with that, I felt like they, and you brought up just in the good point that, you know, yeah, Picard does eventually turn the starship around. He orders to be on high alert and keep, essential personnel or non-essential personnel to their quarters and stuff like that. He's going through the motions, but I think at that point they are emotions or they are motions um, because Beverly's like, we need to do something. And Picard says, well, we must be sure before we do anything else. Like we must be sure. So he is even doubting her. He is going to go through the motions, but I don't think any of them truly believe her and that they are going to do their own investigation to be sure that she is telling the truth, you know? And I think that, yeah, cause I was watching the episode again through this me too uh, lens and it just was very stark. Like, yeah, you mentioned Shishong, those reactions of, you know, when Beverly brings in O'Brien and he's like, there's nothing wrong with my eyesight. I didn't see this quace, you know, <laughs> and with Worf, you know, and well, I was supposed to be notified. Why didn't you notify me? And she's like, I already did a scan, you know, and he just goes and scans the ship anyways. And, you know, it just these reactions of, well, here's what we have to do. And why didn't you do these things? And I'm going to just sort of go through the motions. That's what I felt like the whole time that these people, these men were just going through the motions to satisfy what Dr. Crusher wanted. And I, I sort of felt that was very similar to uh, the Me Too movement as well. Well, and just sort of what has happened that how women were treated in the past. I was crazy, funny thing enough, watching some older movies and thinking about this um, subject of really how far we have come, um, that we have progressed, that people do have the opportunity to speak and, and have their voice be listened to. Um, so just real quick, a couple of just random movies they just happened to be on. Uh, Nine to Five. <laughs> okay. You know the one, Dolly Parton, Lily Tomlin, yeah. <laughs> Jane Fonda. So it just was commonplace that here the boss was like, well, telling Dolly Parton's character, well, come over to my place and you know, all of everything's going to be okay. Like implying that you're going to, you know, come and have sex with me and then everything's going to be okay. I was like, are you kidding me? And that this is in a movie and that this proposal was going on just astounded me. And I think if I remember right, it's not even like in the movie where it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. It was just yeah, like, no, well, it's it happens. Like, no, I'm not going to do that with you. And, you know, like it's an everyday yeah, and like That's you wouldn't report it that. So it would common. just be it would just be like, ah, you just gotta say no to that. You know, like yeah. not like, wait, this is not good behavior that should continue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I will do my best not to get emotional, but uh, the the movement itself has particularly resonated with me because uh, India is more or less uh, it's a it's the largest democracy in the world, but mostly by name. There are still a lot of social and societal specifically practices that that are wrong and should be taken care of, but aren't. So I grew up around a, uh, I grew up around family members and friends who were sexually harassed. And I, 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 I again tried to tried my best to be objective through the episode, but when you watch it and you see how Crusher for being right all along, instead of actually gaining something, loses everything, including the last member on the ship. She loses her son 
and she loses Picard. And uh, the way the Me Too movement has played out, you can look at all the women that have come out with their accusations and nobody has made any money. They didn't get any fame. In fact, they probably lost out on a lot of future opportunities by speaking out against this systemic problem. And I also could not help but relate it to something that uh, Gates McFadden said last year at STLV, where she said, uh, uh, even though I really wanted to be a director and I wanted to be involved a lot in the behind the scenes of TNG, while the show was being made, they really didn't give me the same opportunities that they gave to Jonathan Frakes. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan Frakes was sitting right there and he said, yes, I know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was was just a whole lot of things came together and unintentionally this episode became a perfect storm and a perfect metaphor of what has happened in the last year or so with the show, uh, uh, with with the movement. Yeah. I mean, it, it... It's actually really interesting that you mentioned that because Gates McFadden directed one episode of TNG, the seventh season episode, Genesis. So pretty late on. But I mean, it sounds like it could have been like that she maybe wasn't as as encouraged in that. And I think that to a certain extent, things would change over time because you get someone like Roxanne Dawson, who played Belana Torres on on Voyager, ended up directing like 10 episodes of Enterprise and, you know, has a great directing career. So I think things change. But yeah, I think like if like even if you take a look at, you know, who's in the main cast of The Next Generation, it's mostly men. Right. I mean, that's just kind of how things were. And then things kind of change somewhat for DS9 or Voyager or Discovery. But yeah, it is really interesting to think of this also in the context of of the of the time. I don't know if the people who were writing it kind of thought about it in that way or if they just thought about it as like a fun adventure story, but it's very interesting how it resonates like in this way in which it probably wasn't originally intended at the time. You know, and one other movie that I was watching that um, is going to bring up my favorite TNG movie, Nemesis. But it's all right. All our, was, list, all, all, our, all our listeners already know that, but Shashank. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to mute my audio because I can't stop laughing. Hey, 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 hey. We, we actually, like, okay. we've, we've actually had some different discussions about Nemesis where Amy had to defend it. We had a crossover with Standard Orbit where we were talking about what are considered to be considered to be the worst movies, <laughs> including Nemesis. But yeah. yes, that is Amy's favorite. Okay. She can tell you more about it. At another time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just uh, before we get out of this topic, for people who might find it whimsical, uh, before we started recording, I told Justin my favorite Kelvin movies into darkness. Oh, yeah. so there my you gosh. Go. So, see, <laughs> now you can both be like, I can't believe this. Oh, I can't believe you I can't did that. believe yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and it, but Amy, I was telling Shashank, you should talk to Mike Schindler, who also loves Into Darkness. Yes. So. Yes. <laughs> but okay. anyway, your point. So, um, And one criticism, well, out of many, but one criticism um, with the Nemesis movie is the Troy plot line, you know, and Mm -hmm. throughout TNG, you know, people considered and say that she is, you know, taken advantage of and, you know, mind raped and up until that point. Um, And one thing that I love about Nemesis is that, Troy gets the opportunity to reverse and change the power structure that has always been of people taking advantage of her because of her uh, telepathic abilities. She flips that and is able to, you know, use her telepathy to get in the mind of the Viceroy and find the ship, right? And at that point, Mm -hmm. she says, remember me. And I was like, are you kidding me? I am going to be podcasting. I thought about that. <laughs> and, but the poignancy of that with, she says, remember me, because now she is taking control of the situation. She's turning it. She's gaining the power. She is asserting herself. And it just all came together with those two words of remember me. And I just thought, wow, this is... Hmm. So poignant to have that flipped and she say and she says those words as we're, you know, doing this podcast. So another criticism of the franchise itself for me is that they use a similar plot line in The Child, uh, in the in the TNG episode The Child, where mm-hmm. if correct me if I'm wrong, is that the episode where yes. Troy is impregnated by light? Yes. Uh, yes, by by this uh, alien, alien entity. Being. Yes. 
and it's it's uh, it seemed particularly troubling to me that to 20 plus years on after that particular or maybe 10 plus years on that since that episode had aired they still decided to go back and use that something along those lines of the of the plot line that they used in that episode which marina often said she did not like doing and she was very much against it just a, a little bit of uh, criticism there from me yeah i mean they're I think it's 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 a valid point for what happens to. to I have a differing opinion, and we can talk about that later. Um, But (laughs) one part of the child that stands out that I do agree with is a bunch of men sitting around a table discussing whether she's going to have the child or not. Like how? Yeah, that that shouldn't have even been in that episode. Actually, that whole discussion. (laughs) So that I I would agree with, but I. Yeah, let's move on. I know, on. you feel differently about the rest of it. Yes, I feel differently as well. <laughs> but in a in a couple of ways, I just, I did not, go ahead, Justin, I'm sorry. Oh, no, you go ahead, because I was just basically going to see if you had other thoughts related to. Yeah, I, I did not, I, I really, uh, not because I only did not want to end on a downer, but one thing that inspires me as I watch this episode over and over, and particularly from the lens of the Me Too movement and what has transpired is, I am very, very uh, reinvigorated and uh, re-energized and just in general happier because throughout the episode, Crusher clings to her convictions. She clings to a volition. She has a belief that she sticks to. And all of it leads up from, am I crazy to, let's start with the assumption that I am not crazy to, ending with, if there is nothing wrong with me, there is something wrong with the universe. And that conviction that she has as a female character and what has happened in the world with, by and large, the Me Too movement, as all these women who had come out and who were right all along in their convictions and how things more or less, uh, or I would rather say mostly, had actually gone in their favor and people are being held accountable and things are changing, that felt hopeful to me. And uh, that's that's one of the many, many, many reasons why I remember me is one of those great television hours. For me, it's my favorite Crusher episode, definitely on the top three of my uh, TNG episodes, uh, top five of my Star Trek. Just, it's an incredible episode. And the way things have played out, it uh, unfortunately, but also in a weird way, fortunately, is a very, very timeless episode for me as a, as a viewer. Justin, what are your final thoughts? Yeah, actually, before I get into my my final thoughts, I just wanted to add something. So, I mean, th- those are really great points of like how she progresses in the episode. Like, maybe I'm crazy. Oh, actually, I'm not, and I'm going to figure out this this problem. But like, even in the end, like toward toward the very end, she thinks that she's figured things out that you know she's inside this warp bubble they're trying to you know to to get her back what's the most likely place it's engineering aha you know there's that atmospheric disturbance i need to to go to the first two times that happens in the episode she's like no don't take me because i mean of course if you're in your regular reality and like a hole opens up in the wall you're going to be like i don't want to go through that i have no (laughs) idea what that is right but even at the end i think there's even like a little hesitation but then she's like okay I've got to do this. So she has the the courage to take that chance and go through that because it could have very well been for whatever reason she's diagnosed it incorrectly and something's going to bounce back and the universe is going to be fine. It's an alien illusion or whatever, but she has, you know, the courage to take that chance and to jump through and hope that that she's thought about it correctly because she's not having any interaction with what's happening in the outside universe. She doesn't know to confirm that she's right. It just seems like it and she's going to take the chance to do that. So I, I love that as well. That is a great analogy, uh, Justin, for... People who have the courage to come out, especially those uh, who they're coming out against who are in the public eye, um, they have to go through that literal storm of social media just as much as Beverly had to go through that literal literal physical storm of the light Mm. and the wind and stuff, you know, like they have to be strong and they have to be sure and they have to have the confidence to know that they are right. This is their reality. And that, yeah, even though someone famous that they're, that that's who they're coming out against, that shouldn't stop you. And well done for those who do, do have the courage and do, and did have the courage to come out against someone in the public eye like that. Yeah, great point. 
So like, as far as my final thoughts, I, like I said before, I've always enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed rewatching it. And it was really interesting to kind of look at it in a different lens as someone who is really doubted in the end and really has to try to be strong and find a way, a way through that. Uh, so I, and I think that, you know, in talking about the episode, it ends up becoming more than just like a one-off, somebody's stuck in a warp bubble and has to, to, to get out. It ends up being, I think one of the very best, maybe if not the best Beverly Crusher centered episode, it also makes me think if they had written more episodes for her and maybe a few less for say Picard or, or data, you know, what that, that would have been like for, to have more Crusher episodes like that. Uh, so I just really enjoyed watching it again, having this discussion, seeing it through a, a different lens, and and you know just seeing what we could find in this episode that's you know still relevant all these years later. So I really appreciated that. I again just loved going back and watching this episode, especially through this lens of the Me Too movement, and to see sort of how far um, we have come since the 80s and 70s like I said that 70s movie 9 to 5 and to now like just sort of how things have changed and are quote unquote normal what is normal behavior in the workplace uh, on social media and I'm pleased that this progression has happened and am so grateful for those women and others who have stood up to wrongdoings and inequalities. And um, I like that this uh, episode sort of parallels that with Beverly saying, I'm not crazy. I am going to basically prove to you that I'm not crazy and then finds out that it's her universe that's, you know, what's wrong. I, again, yeah, think this is a great crusher episode um and just wanted to highlight yeah she gates mcfadden did she was a pioneer in in the star trek community of getting women into directing um she had wanted to be a director and you brought this up shashank that she talked to stlv last year she had wanted to be a director but those who had the power kept saying no 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 and so that's why she didn't get until season seven. She had wanted to a lot earlier, but because, you know, she was able to keep pushing and be persistent, she was able to direct and I think open the door for other female directors, as you mentioned, Justin Dawson. So, yeah, I think it's a great episode with lots to think about, and I like it. So, Shashank, thank you for coming on Earl Grey with us today. Thank you too. You're, uh, I think you're both crazy and uh, I don't know why you agreed to let me on, but I appreciate it. I'm going to ride this wave for as long as I can. <laughs> and uh, thank you for letting me join you guys. It was very, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking the chance on a risky topic. I know it's not something people would like to listen to when they're doing their laundry, but <laughs> I, 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 I appreciate you taking the chance and letting me talk about this. Absolutely. Well, where can people find you online if they want to continue talking to you about this important topic? Barry DeFord, whose uh, birthday it is today. Uh, we're recording on Sunday, August 26th. So happy birthday, Barry. He's my co-host and we do a show called Polytrex, which is uh, part of the Tricorder Network. Shout out to my Tricorder tribe. Uh, you can find our show on at Polytrex on Twitter, P-O-L-I-T-R-E-K-S. That's the same name on Facebook. People can find me personally on at gutter underscore hero uh, on Twitter. I am not on Facebook, but uh, we can. I love talking to people about Star Trek. Like I mentioned, I write comic books. I'm also a comic book nerd, and my uh, username is actually a comic book reference. So if you get that, 1,000 bonus points. But uh, that's where people can find me. People can also, if they are uh, one of the cool email people, the hipster people who don't believe in social media, you can email me. Get ready to write this down. Pull out your scroll and feather pen. S-H-A-S-H-A-N-K dot A-V-V-A-R-U at gmail.com. That was a mouthful. So congratulations for writing that down. <laughs>
Hey, I didn't know you liked comic books so much. Did you see uh, I tweeted a student gave me a comic book because they were apologizing. Her homework for, was late. Yeah. Yeah. Apologizing for turning in a late assignment. I'm like, well, you can just turn in everything late if I'm going to keep on getting this kind of treatment. And, and that looked like a pretty awesome DS9 comic. I want to read that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, but but I, I had a chance to talk with Shashank at STLV about comics and just such a huge passionate fan of comics. It's 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 wonderful just to talk with you about that. So I'm sure if people just wanted to talk with you about comics, they could, right? Absolutely. Reach out to me about anything comic booky. I'll get into it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks so much for being here on Earl Grey. No, it was my pleasure, you guys. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was uh, it was a lot of fun, and I hope to be back sometime again. Absolutely. So a preview of next week's episode. So we'll be interviewing Tim Dazarn. He played the alien mercenary Sattler in the TNG episode Starship Mine, and he also played a Bajoran on DS9 and a Kazon and a Nigean on Voyager. So I would say... Maybe rewatch Starship Mine so you can see his his appearance there. He's one of the mercenaries that dies fairly early on. But still, we're really looking forward to uh, to talking to him. I got to meet him at Star Trek Las Vegas, and he has some really interesting stories to tell. So hopefully you'll join us for that. Yeah, looking forward to that. Well, it has been so much fun talking about Beverly Crusher and the episode Remember Me. But that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here is what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, the 602 Club. Well, and I think that uh, there's even, you know, a, a kernel of that conversation uh, reflected in when he is on uh, the, the airship with his dad. And it's very interesting because Indy gives, you know, they give the, the two versions of the story where, you know, you were distant, you didn't hang out with me you didn't do these things I didn't have a normal dad like every other kid and then you hear uh, you know Henry Jones Sr. say I never told you to wash behind your ears I never checked up on your homework I gave you all of the freedom and independence that you wanted and if you were to ask any kid they'd say that's what they wanted and then you find out to speak to the point about fact and truth that that's not necessarily what you want. You want involvement. You want connection. You want to be together. You want to be part of your family unit, and you want it to be cohesive. I mean, you know, at a at a baseline, that's what everybody wants. Warp five. So, for the listeners, if you haven't watched this episode, she murders. She's unsure of if she murders, but she kills. The seventh person she was supposed to round up. Whoa, the seventh! Oh, what a shock! Be still, my heart. So, he mockingly said, To the journey! I love that Barkley says he's lost himself in Voyager because I have been there, man. Haven't we all, Reg? Haven't we all? It hits a little close to home. It does. I'm a little bit like Barkley in some ways. I, you know, I have just a little bit of paranoia to me. Awkward? No, a little paranoid. No, I don't think I'm awkward. No. Okay, maybe a, <laughs> maybe a little bit. <laughs> well, you said you're like Barkley. Awkward. Give me a glass of wine and I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> Sent the hall. Excuse me. Sent the hall. Melodic tricks. Okay, so that's one of the things they do. Um, the music is much more enhanced and the music is louder uh, when you're sitting in the audience. The, the dialogue is, is lowered so that you can hear the music. The idea is to get you to appreciate what the score is all about. Okay. And the idea is to focus your mind on the music rather than on the movie. But it actually your brain does tricks and it's very difficult to disassociate yourself. So you're staring at the screen and then you kind of have to pinch yourself and remind yourself that there's a full live orchestra on the stage. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website, 
or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So Justin, where can people contact you when you're not trying to determine the nature of the warp bubble universe that you inhabit? Hold on. I I just got an alert on my phone. It says the universe is now 705 meters in diameter. I think I'm going to have to go and find a way out of here. So I'll be back. Okay, now that I'm back in the correct universe, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, currently tweeting out my Season 6 rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So Amy, where can people contact you when you're not trying to figure out why we couldn't have seen Dalen Quace at the end of Remember Me? That was <laughs> I know we didn't talk about that, but that was a question that came up in my mind. He's real. He's there at the beginning. Why don't we see him at the end? <laughs> Well, because they're in engineering, and Dalen Quace isn't in engineering. I know, but like it, it, it's this thing in my mind. Like it, it just doesn't like all connect together because I want to see her, see him, and say, you know, Dalen, I had this really weird thing that happened to me. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> okay, that's a weird thing. But all anyway, right. where can people find you? <laughs> well, you can find me on here, the network. I co-host The Edge with Patrick Devlin. And we talk about discovery. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, where I'm tweeting about my Deep Space Nine rewatch. I am in season four, but my favorite place on the Babel Conference. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons' website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity and recognize our current associate producers. They are Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. If this were a bad dream, would you tell me? That is not a valid question. Like hell it's not. Great joy and gratitude. Thank you.